I have drinks lined up here, <laughs> just like the old days. <laughs> My name is Joanne. I'm from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. I want to thank the committee for uh, inviting us. Uh, a lot of people went to a lot of trouble. Uh, Johnny B. bought extra special linens from Linens and Things because we stayed our first night with him. I want you to know he has new bed sheets. <laughs> and my um, host, Angela, has done a wonderful job. She has been there every step of the way wanting to know if I need something. Uh, if I need to go someplace, uh, she even offered to get me nylons in case I put a run in mine because I told her that's usually my one of my fears is I'm going to arrive with my nylons all full of runs. <coughs> I want to thank John and Cindy for inviting me to come to talk. Um, when I last th on Thanksgiving, I started getting a cold and I've had laryngitis off and on, um, so I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to talk. So I was grateful that you will be able to hear me talk for hopefully about an hour and I love to have alcoholics just their undivided attention for a whole hour <laughs> that hasn't happened many times in my lifetime usually they just kind of doze off when I'm talking so thank you and uh, happy birthday to your group um, I was I grew up on a farm in uh, Elmwood Wisconsin I came from a family of nine kids, and I was the second oldest. I had a brother that was older than me. And um, in that family, since I was one of the older kids, uh, it was traditional that we all get suitcases for graduation. And we were meant to use them. Uh, and um, in that family also, when I first came to Al-Anon, I was told to, to look for, you know, what may have happened in my first family that may have affected me that made me drawn to an alcoholic. And um, so I held that family up under a microscope to see what was wrong with that family that made me end up in an alcoholic marriage. And I could not really find anything. Uh, I can tell you that in that family, since I was one of the older kids, I was raised to take care of other people and to, to give care to other people. And in Al-Anon, I learned that there was a difference between caregiving and caretaking. Um, and in that family also, I didn't know a lot about alcohol because my family, when we had threshing crews there or anything, the most that was ever in our house for alcohol was maybe a case of beer at threshing time. And most of the guys that uh, were there were much more interested in eating my mother's good cooking than they were in drinking. So there was usually a lot of the cans still half full. And at Christmas time, my dad always got uh, a jug of uh, Mogan David wine. And most of that was still sitting in the refrigerator come Easter time and it was thrown out because they just weren't drinkers there. So I didn't have a lot of drinking in my first family, although my mother came from a family that had alcohol in it. She had two brothers, and they both um, drank a lot. My one uncle, um, he and his wife were married and divorced twice, and she eventually just lived down the street from him. And she took care of him till the day he died. 
And uh, my other uncle was in the Merchant Marines. And he traveled a lot. He'd be gone for like six months at a time, and then he would come home, and he would drink till his paycheck was pretty much gone, and then he'd go back on the seas. But we found him very entertaining. He brought us gifts from wherever he had been, and to nine little kids growing up on a farm looking for attention, uh, it was wonderful to have him come. His, his drinking di really didn't affect our life. My mother wasn't altogether always happy when he came drunk, but... We were ecstatic because he was bringing us gifts and he would send us postcards from where he, wa where he was. And I always found him terribly entertaining. When he died, although when he died, I had said to my aunt, because by then I knew that he had, he had been a drinker, I said it must have been hard being married to him because he used to come, when he'd come home, he loved to can things. And he'd go buy a whole bunch of vegetables and he would spend the day drinking and canning. <laughs> and we would get these, he'd bring these jars of pickled carrots, pickled green beans, pickled, you name it, he would pickle it. And they were all good, except they'd have about that much dirt in the bottom of the jars. Because he just, you know, he was busy drinking while he was canning. So I said, it must have been hard being married to him, because I know that basically she worked and she supported her and her two kids and uh, and he was gone most of the time and she's oh no no Joanne he he was it wasn't a hard time he was a wonderful guy he just drank too much so when when she said that I thought that was my dilemma when I first found out uh, that I was married to somebody that drank I thought he just he drinks too much I was married to a wonderful guy who some of the time when he drank he wasn't altogether that nice but some of the time when he wasn't drinking he wasn't altogether that nice so I didn't see his drinking really in relationship to his behavior so when I left home with that suitcase that I got for graduation I didn't know a lot about the big world I was not altogether that happy most of the time growing up that I was being raised on a farm it, that sounded like not a whole lot of fun for me I, I thought the bright lights in the big city would be a lot more fun but when I did finally have to leave I was scared to death I didn't know a lot about the city and uh, my dad took me to Eau Claire and I found a job and I found an apartment and um, set out finding out about the big city and one of the first things I ran into was uh, a couple of other girls who knew how to get around in town and since I wasn't very much of a drinker I didn't really drank in high school. I was the girl who would get the car and you know the other girls sometimes would drink if uh, I was with them but I didn't drink. So I had to learn how to smoke because I had to learn to kind of be, you know, you got to be with it somehow. So, so I diligently taught myself to smoke with great pain and you know a number of years later I had to diligently learn how to not smoke again. But that's what I did and uh, one day when uh, my roommate came home, uh, she had been attending uh, college and then she was also working part-time and she was working part-time at a bar. And I got this phone call when I came home from a weekend and the phone call was, was my husband, potential husband on the other end, and he said, um, hi, is Kathy there? And I said, no, she's not. I'm, I'm uh, here alone. And he said, well, would you like to go out?
And I had met him once before in passing when I had been leaving the apartment, and he was he was there to pick up my my roommate Kathy, and uh, we had exchanged highs and how are you. So he knew who I was. I mean, he wasn't asking a complete stranger. And I said, well, no, I just came home for the weekend. I've got these big rollers in my hair, and I'm I'm in for the night. And he said, well, I'll be there, and I'll be there in about ten minutes. And he hung up. And I thought, well, he's not going to come. So I just went about what I was doing, and in a few minutes, and I answered the door, and he says, you're not ready. And I said, well, I didn't think you were going to come. And uh, he says, well, get dressed. We're going out. And that was my first enable. I just plain got dressed and went out with him. So in my first family, I did learn that one of the things I was was really compliant. I did whatever my mom and dad wanted me to do. I was kind of an extension of them. My older brother and I are kind of an extension of them. And really, even to this day, my mother and dad think of us kind of as their co-parents because they were only about 18 and 19 when they had us. So they looked to, to John and I for a lot of their own... Um, in fact, my dad is in the hospital right now, and he wants John to be who, who takes him to the hospital and takes him home. That's, that's his dad, and I'm their mom. And um, so, um, so he was there. And in that, what I was going to say is, in that family, I was really compliant. And I found that when I looked back in my Al-Anon uh, insight was that I was really compliant with Bruce or other people. What they wanted from me, that's what I did. Um, so, um, he was there at the house and, uh, I got dressed and we went out. And that was the beginning of, um, a whirlwind relationship. I found out early on that he was a terminally late dater. <laughs> and that bothered me. He wouldn't pick me up on time. And one of the first times after that that Bruce picked me up, he came to the house and I said, I'm not going to go with you you're late and he said um, if you're not if you don't go with me I'm gonna start undressing right here in the street <laughs> and um, he started to undress right there in the street now I'm not the one undressing you know he took off his pants and he started taking off his shirt and the car came around the corner and I said, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> Why I was embarrassed for him, I'll never know. But I thought, better go so that he's, he doesn't get hurt in this whole thing. And another time when he came to pick me up, he, um, I wouldn't answer the door. You know, he knew I was in there, and he just knocked the door down. Just knocked the door down. And I said, I'm not going to go with you, you're late. And that was my deal. I had no idea that he had a drinking problem. I just knew he had this punctuality problem. <laughs> And he started throwing glasses at the wall. I'm going to keep doing this until you go with me. And I didn't think of calling the police. I didn't think of saying, get out of here and don't ever come back. I said, fine, I'll go. And that was really the way we lived until Bruce got sober. I just pretty much did what he wanted me to do. So eventually, as he was saying, I was, um, we were with child. We were with child within a very short time. We were, I think we did fall in love. I think it was young love. You know, we were about 
18, 19 when we got married. I think that through the years, especially in active recovery, it is a love that's matured, and it, it is a true love today. I think the love that we had in the beginning uh, was part love and part luck. We were just committed to staying together. Uh, sometimes it seemed like a prison sentence to me, and sometimes it seemed like a prison sentence to him, I think. But, but we stayed together, and I'm so grateful that the program has given us that. So I just would go with him. And um, so I was pregnant, and I told him, and he said, well, we'll just get married. And he was in this early entry into the service, so we, I told my parents, who were not very happy that I was pregnant, um, they weren't very happy that I was marrying Bruce. When Bruce did finally go to treatment, my parents didn't believe that his problem was that he was alcoholic. His problem was that he was Lutheran. <laughs> I was a Catholic girl, raised in a very committed Catholic family, with not nine kids and two parents. It took two shifts of us to get to church, and by the time the younger ones were grown, um, or by the time the younger ones came along, us older ones were old enough to take some of the kids to the second service, and my parents went to the first mass with some of the kids. So my mom and dad were pretty committed to their religion, and uh, in those days, young kids aren't exposed to this now, but in those days, you know, I shouldn't even brush up against a Lutheran boy, let alone be dating one and now marrying one. So my parents were pretty upset, and the church at that time said, you will be excommunicated. And So Bruce and I paid for our own wedding, and um, we were kind of in a hurry because we had a baby on the way, and, and he was going to be going into the service, and we wanted to be married before that all happened. So we got married. Now, I'd been raised from the time I was little to be somebody else's mother, and I've been raised to be somebody's mother. The boys in my family, there's four boys and there's five girls in, in my first family. And the boys got cars and they were helped to get set up. But the girls were really, the intention was that they get married and they have babies and they live happily ever after. So I knew my job now. Now I'm married and, and I'll, we'll just, I've already got the kid on the way. <laughs> so uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be somebody's wife and somebody's mother. And I was pretty secure in the fact that I would know how to do that. But I still had this one problem. I had a husband who had punctuality problems now. Now I don't have a boyfriend problem. I have a punctuality problem with my husband. And he didn't want to come home right after work. And I didn't understand that. I mean, I was used to, I was used to living with my mom and dad just arm's length away uh, all the years I grew up, which today I consider a blessing. Um, but he... he you know, he reiterated to me that I was a country girl and um, they're not always as knowledgeable about city things and city boys stop for a drink after work. And they might have one or two and they will stop with their friends and it would be my job as a city wife to wait till he came home. And all that insecurity that I had growing up being a naive little farm girl would come forth and go, well, you know, maybe that's the way it is. You know, I don't know a lot about living in the city, so maybe that's just what I have to do. I just have to wait for him to come home. And um, I knew that in his family, his dad always stopped for a drink after work. But his dad almost always came home by 6 o'clock, and, and Bruce didn't. So we would have these 
great debates when he did get home. And I've learned in Al-Anon that you don't debate with an alcoholic when he's drinking. <laughs> but at that time, I thought I could reason with him, and I thought I would just um, convince him, either by begging or imploring or guilting him, that he should be home, you know, that um, we could have supper together and, and he could spend some time with, with his little his new little son and um, he assured me that he would he would be doing that you know that it's just you know it was just time got away with me and tomorrow night I'll come home earlier so that that went on and, and we had another child and um, so I thought well now it'll really settle down now now what we have is a family you know at first his his friends like I said we were married at 19 so we were pretty young our friends were young also so a lot of those friends that weren't married yet were starting to get married. And some of them were starting to stay home. And um, I thought it'll just take a little bit of time and he'll, he'll start staying home. It's just that he's still got to work that just young man stuff out of him. And uh, so I had two kids and this still wasn't happening. I have a friend in Allen that had six kids before she said, you know, I finally stopped trying to get him to come home by having kids. You know, I've got six now. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> I know when to quit. So we would have these debates ongoing about him, uh, him drinking and him needing to come home. And in early Al-Anon, I had to look back at some of, the, some of the ploys that I used at trying to get him to come home and some of the ways I tried to rationalize my behavior. And one of the things that I used to do all the time when he would come home was he would he would want to go to bed because Bruce drank till he was drunk and he would usually come in on his knees and he just wanted to go to bed. He didn't want to fight with me. He didn't want to even tell me why he was late. He just wanted to go to sleep. Well, I had waited for him for a while now. So now I had, I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk to him and I wanted to know why he went, where he went and why he didn't come home because one of the other things I did was I'd get on the phone. I knew probably which bars he was at and I would just sit there and dial the phone and call and the first call would be, you know, well, I have pork chops, you know, and they're ready. And he would say, you know, well, I'll be, I'll be home in about 10 minutes. You know, Bob just came in, and I haven't seen Bob for a while, but I'll be right there. And, um, and then about a half hour later, I'd call again, you know, you're coming home? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming home. And I could tell that he was getting drunk. So by the time he did come home, I was all stirred up, and I wanted to talk. And he would go to the bedroom, and I'd come in there, and I'd flip the light on. And I'd tell him those one or two things I thought he needed to know. And I'd flip the light off and, you know, he just wanted to sleep. Um, I'd come back in and keep doing it. And I'd go over to the bed and I'd talk to him. And I don't believe in physical abuse, but I can tell you there was many times when I dogged him when he was laying in that bed so that he would have had two choices. He would have either had to come up after me or he would have had to go on through that mattress because I wasn't going to give him any choice. So that continued. And in the early years of that relationship, I would beg and plead and cry and try to reason with him for why he needed to come home. <coughs> and one of the early things I also found in Al-Anon was that I think that for most of us, at least for me, that the disease of alcoholism is not what I have, but it manifested itself in my emotions and in my, my spiritual life because it was progressive in me. 
In the early years, I begged and pleaded. In the middle years, I was just a raging Al-Anon. I was tired of waiting, and everything that I tried to do to get his attention wasn't working, so I upped the ante. And I got louder, and I got angrier, and I got more physical myself. One of the things that Bruce and I were blessed with in early recovery was we knew that we had a democratic disease going. We took turns being the one that threw things and pouted and and got even. You know, there was times that I would try to not talk to Bruce for two or three days and as the years went on, he would have prayed for that silent treatment because in the middle years, I was doing nothing but yapping. And um, we took turns throwing things at each other, like I said. I threw a pot of chili at him one day, knowing full well that once it was airborne, I was going to have to clean it up. He wasn't going to be the one cleaning it up. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't wise. To in the end years of his drinking, I was apathetic. It, it didn't pay to feel. I just started stuffing my feelings as far down as I could. And I just went about the, motion, the motions of living a life. And um, so when I came to the doors of Al-Anon, when they talked about feelings and we read pages on feelings, I didn't like that. That wasn't going to be how, how I was able to relate with you. It scared me. Because I'd protected myself now with my anger and with me just dulling myself out. And I didn't want to talk about feelings because they weren't very productive for me, it didn't seem. So we continued in that marriage. I saved for more divorces probably than many people, only to be followed by periods of sobriety that were wonderful. And um, sometimes I thought, well, he may have a problem with drinking. Never saw it in terms of alcoholism. I don't think that there was a lot talked about 24 years ago about alcoholism necessarily in regular homes. Uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing as AA or Al-Anon. And um, so I'd save for a divorce and then we'd have two or three weeks or days of good times together. And I'd think, you know, maybe I've made too much of this. You know, we just probably had a bad run there. And... Um, and I'd go ahead and put the money on a bill or something, and we would just continue on. So I was really lost with knowing what, what, what is the problem. And then I had this other dilemma. You know, I'm pregnant when I get married. Maybe if, maybe if I hadn't have been pregnant, maybe we would never have been married. Maybe this is a guy who really doesn't want to be married, but is just putting his time in to do the right thing. And he doesn't know how to get out of it. And that certainly added an extra little bonus of, nagging guilt on me you know I don't want to be married to somebody that doesn't want to be with me so we continued on that way and um, as anyone that was here last night heard that he eventually just left me now I can be emotionally prepared for divorce when I'm the one going to do it <laughs> but he left me and you know that was just that was completely out of the whole mix for me I had no idea that that was going to happen but he left me and he said, I'm going to take, I'll take 80% of the blame, but I'm not going to take all of it. 
You're going to have to own your 20. And at the time, I thought those are pretty good odds. That's about that's about what it probably is. It's 80% your fault. I'll, I'll I'll take only 20. And he left. And I was just beside myself with wondering how I was going to handle taking care of these two little kids. And because I, I had no idea where he was going at that time, and I didn't know what we were going to do. So I called the crisis line in Eau Claire, and I could have gotten many different people on that crisis line because there was nurses and there were social workers and there were some counselors that manned that crisis line. But that night I got uh, a counselor who was also a recovering alcoholic. And he said, it sounds to me like your husband might have a drinking problem. That might be what's going on. I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to put your kids to bed, and I want you to go to bed, and I'll call you tomorrow. And he did that for about two weeks, checked on me every day. And I will forever be grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous and alcoholics, because if it hadn't been an alcoholic that night on the line, I'm not sure what would have happened. But that particular man knew what was going on in my home. And I trusted that because he told me. He said, well, you probably have had some fights about drinking and you're probably not getting along very well for financially. And he named enough of the things that go on in my house that I thought, I think I believe this guy. So I did what he said. And in the meantime, he had gotten a hold of Bruce and he got um, Bruce to accept going into treatment. And when Bruce was in treatment, when he went, um, he would call me off and on. He'd say, I don't think I belong here. These people, have, they've hurt people. <laughs> and I thought, and you haven't? <laughs> but what I would say is, well, you know, just stay there. They're going to have me come for family in about another week, and, and, um, and then we'll talk about it. So I went up for family, and I thought, my interpretation of family was going to be that I would get to go there and I would I would tell the group the things that he had done to me and to our children and then they would have him apologize. <laughs> and then they would send us home. And that isn't what happened. <laughs> they confronted me on some of my own behavior. Um because they knew something about me by then because they'd been talking to him. And uh, I didn't like that. It scared me. It scared me that they were confronting me and I was upset. In fact, Bruce uh, took some parts out of the car to make me stay for family because I was ready to go home the first night. No one's going to talk to me that way. And um, But the one thing that family did for me was it, it, it opened a gap in me big enough to make me know <coughs> something was going on with me. And they um, reassured me that I probably needed to go to an Al-Anon meeting and talk to some other people. So I went to an Al-Anon meeting or two before he came home, and they actually didn't want him to come home. They wanted him to go to a halfway house. He, they thought he was that we were much too sick for him to come home to, which didn't really thrill me very much either. That they're saying that you know I'm the you know I'm sicker than he is. Now that that really perplexed me because. I'm the one that wears the white hat. I have taken care of those kids. I have paid those bills. We had been through a bankruptcy. 
And um, I thought, I'm the responsible one here. You should be giving me medals for staying with him, for God's sakes. And they were saying that they didn't know if they really wanted to send him home to this sick family. But they did. So we set off on the road to recovery. I went to my Al-Anon meetings, and he went to his AA meetings. And uh, we found out that in the middle of that alcoholism that we had some strengths. There were some things that Bruce and I had going on in our marriage that were real pluses. And, um, and we built on them. We were in also a, a couples group that met, um, I think it was once a month, and we set some goals in that group. And out of the six different couples that were involved in that, I think Bruce and I and one other couple continued to stay married. But we continued to try to find a middle ground for where we would live in many of the obstacles that we had. So when they sent him home, I thought, well, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I'm going to have, finally, I'm going to be somebody's wife and somebody's mother the way I always thought. They're going to just suck his little brain of all the things that are bad and they're going to send me home a guy that's going to be able to just be there. He's going to have a pipe, the whole works. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be a dad. So when he came home, I found out that I, I didn't particularly enjoy having him home. I mean, I'd never had him home. What am I going to do with him now? And I also found out that he had opinions about just about everything. And he hadn't had that when he was drinking. I mean, he was really much too guilty to have opinions. So he pretty much, during the everyday routine of life, let me run the show. I decided how the kids were going to be disciplined. I decided what we were going to buy and what we were going to do if we did take a trip. Um... And I had a control over all that, and I was not aware that I had that much control in that house until he came home. And I was not crazy about the idea that he was going to maybe be disciplining the kids because I didn't trust him. I felt like he had no relationship with them, and they were kind of skeptical, like, who is this guy that's telling us what to do now? You know, this is kind of like the sleepover. This was the bed and breakfast uh, thing. So they weren't really willing to even listen to him. So we had a lot of obstacles, and... Um, we worked with those, and uh, we built on a lot of the pluses, and we started finding some other couples in AA that were also doing well. And we did things with them, and I'll be forever grateful for them because they really mentored to us. They really gave us hope. They had us buy time to just keep getting through it until we got to the next spot. But in the middle of this active uh, recovery that we had going on, I had an older son that wasn't altogether that crazy about this newfound sobriety in our house. And he wasn't altogether that crazy that we were going to meetings all the time. And within a very short time, we found out that um, Terry wasn't only not happy with us, he was also using, he was starting to use. Actually, we didn't find that out, our cat did. He found the bag of pot in Terry's <laughs> pocket. I guess it smells like catnip. I don't know. <laughs> the cat was always after Terry's coat, which hung on the doorknob, and it didn't occur to us necessarily that there was something in the pocket, but Terry was using. Well, by then, you know, we had probably maybe five years in the program. Now, now I know something about alcoholism. I didn't the first time. Now I know something about alcoholism. 
this is not going to happen to another member of the family because now I know. Self-knowledge, that's what I needed. Now I have that. I know that I shouldn't enable. I know that I need to detach. I know all these things. Another person in my life that I love is not going to go down that road. So I tried not to enable. I tried to detach. And Terry continued to use. And uh, we eventually were able to confront him enough to get him into treatment. And um, he came home from that treatment and stayed sober for a period of time and, and used again. And he got sober again and he used again. And I had no experience with that, absolutely none. I had experience with a person who drank and went to treatment and got sober and stayed sober. I did not know what to do with a person who was relapsing. And I also didn't know what to do with my feelings of guilt at that point about raising two kids in active alcoholism. Because when Bruce came home and I had learned about what alcoholism was and what happens in the family, I now had an agenda. I had two kids, eight and ten, and I had ten good years left. And I would change that. I would have ten good years with those two kids where I could be the kind of parent I wanted to be. And now, that's been taken away from me again. Terry's, Terry's using. I'm not going to get this chance to do that. So I was feeling guilty about not getting to spend any time with him the way I wanted to as a mother. And his relapse has taught me that I may not have a sober son, ever. So it forced me to go back to the steps. Now I had very mechanically, in hindsight, went through those steps the first time. And since Bruce was sober, I think I only did them superficially. I did them only the most minimal amount that I needed to do. Like I said, we both had agreed that we were both active participants in that, act, in that alcoholism. So we didn't do a lot of blaming of each other. But I had a lot of guilt with Terry, and I had to go back to my step work and do it more diligently than I had the first time. Because Terry's alcoholism brought me to my knees. I did not want to have another one of my loved ones go down that road. So I went back to the steps, and I had to look at the first step, you know, and, and the second and the third. Do I believe? Do I believe in a God? Well, I've always believed in a God. I mean, I was raised in a Catholic home. God is present in a Catholic home. I, I knew that there was a God. But my God had to get a lot bigger, and I had to, I had to correlate a God with my own behavior. If I believe God exists, Am I going to act as though he exists in my life? Am I going to walk that belief? And I found out that all those years that I believed in a God, I was constantly taking action in conflict with that. Yes, I believe in a God, but I'm going to go do this. 
because I can't trust my feelings. So I'm going to have to control that person. And I may have to control them with guilt, shame, whatever. And that's what I did. So I had to go back through the steps and went through that four-column inventory that is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because one of the times that Terry was sober, and when Terry was sober, Terry was alive with AA. He loved AA. And he would come to me and he'd say, Mom, how do you do those steps? Did you do an inventory? Oh, yes, 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 I did that. You know, we did this with this little book. And he said, have you ever done the steps of the big book? And one of the times that there was a big book study in our area, Bruce invited me to go with him, and I did. And I learned how to do the four-column method. Now, I didn't do that with a sponsor, because at that time I didn't have a sponsor who was willing to do that. She was not, um, her experience was not from that era, area, and she wouldn't do that. So I did my fourth step, or fifth step, with uh, somebody at a retreat center and also part of what I did with my husband and my son because they taught me how to do it. And we pretty much, I know that it's not recommended that you do these things with your husband, but Bruce and I by then had had no secrets (laughs) from each other. And I'd heard in some talks that you start where you are with what you have, step out in faith and believe that God will help. And that's how I did it. I I did that four-column method and I found out that that I was directed by fear in almost all of my actions my entire life. I mean, that's really what people-pleasing is about. I'm afraid that you're not going to love me. My controlling was about my fear of, of what you're going to do instead of what I get, so I'm going to always want more than my fair share. And the big book just came alive to me because I wanted to be the director, too. You know, if I can keep most of, most of the actions going on in my house and my world coming from me, I'll be a lot safer. And the steps in that inventory taught me that I was going to have to step out of that kind of behavior and step into a faith that will hold me, that I don't need to know what the outcome is going to be. I just need to know that I need to do the legwork of what I think God wants me to do in all my actions. And that if I do that, the courage will be given to me to get through whatever whatever the next thing brings. And I have done that often enough now that I have faith in that. I didn't have faith in it to begin with. I did it because what I was doing wasn't working. So I went through that four-column inventory and found out more things about myself, and I started behaving a little bit differently. I found out that I was really punishing my son many of the times when he was using. And I went back to some behaviors and actions that my own parents had taken. And I, when I first lived in Eau Claire, my parents used to send me home with a pound of hamburger or a dozen cookies, and I started doing for Terry some of the things that you would do for an ordinary child. I would say to myself, if Terry was a normal son, what would you do for him today? And I would do that. And I started noticing some of the things about him besides his alcoholism. Because if he does drink and he does not ever get sober and I want a relationship with him, I may need to see more in him than just his alcoholism. And I once more remembered that Terry has beautiful blue eyes and Terry plays guitar. And I started developing a relationship with him that was different. And up till that point, Terry couldn't even see his own alcoholism many of the times because I was always on his case. And what he saw was his mother was a bitch. 
You're always on me, Mom. And he couldn't even see his own behavior. So I developed a relationship with Terry in the middle of his active drinking. And, and that is probably one of the greatest rewards recovery has given me, that you can actually live in the middle of that and be okay. And um, Terry is sober today. Terry's been sober um, nine years. He'll be sober ten years next May. <coughs> and um, he doesn't live close to us, so I don't. we don't have everyday uh, interaction. You know, one of the things that Terry used to do when he was actively using was he could get money out of my purse if I was sitting right beside it. I mean, he had skills. <laughs> that were just phenomenal. <laughs> I would count my money, I would sit my purse down, and when I went back and counted it, 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 it was not the same figure. I mean, he just, he had a talent, that's all I can say. And um, when he came to stay with us during one of his recoveries, um, he noticed that, you know, for a long time, I, I literally had my purse on my shoulder when I would do the dishes. <laughs> and... Some of the, you know, the things that you do in everyday life that normal people see as really, you know, kind of insane. You know, why are you doing the dishes with your purse on your shoulder? It made perfect sense to me. And to other people, they see that as not very normal. And during one of those recoveries, I took my purse into um, my bedroom, and, and Terry came to the bedroom door, and he said, Mom, he said, don't feel bad that you have to do that. He said, the day will come when you won't feel like you need to do that anymore. And I said, thank you. So today I don't have to do that anymore. I don't hide my purse from my son when he comes to visit. Um, and um, I don't really know that I have anything more to tell you. Um, thank you very much for inviting me. This program has given me, I guess I can say this, in recovery, one of the gifts that I've gotten from uh, attending Al-Anon regularly, I attend two meetings a week, is that I've, I've sponsored a number of young people who have been raised in active alcoholism. One of the things that has helped me heal is getting to, f to participate in being a parent to somebody else's children. There's a part of me that still needs to do that. And I've gotten to do that in sponsorship and... Uh, I've enjoyed that immensely. I've been there for other people, and I've seen them forgive parents who are still actively using, and I've seen them develop relationships with those very same fathers and mothers. And that just gives me so much credibility to what these steps do to people. Whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not, many times relationships can be recovered. And I think that that is one of the greatest things that I've learned here. I mean, my husband and I have been in the program a long time. But there's many people that I know that still live with active alcoholism who still have the pots of chili flying through the air. And um, I watch them develop different behavior. And in many of those cases, the alcoholic in their life comes to sobriety by their behavior changing. Now, they're not responsible necessarily to get somebody else sober but the very fact that we change our behavior does have an impact on the people around us and to me that's just profound I always thought 
that I did what I did because you did what you did. And the steps have given me the courage to know that I am responsible for my own behavior. If somebody else is behaving poorly, that does not give me the authority to behave the same way back. And there's a freedom that comes with that. Sandy was talking about that this afternoon, um, that we, we do have an accountability to how we behave. And the parameters for how that's going to take place depends on that relationship between me and my higher power. I don't have to be dictated by other people's behavior. That doesn't have to be contingent upon how I'm going to behave. And um, I want to thank you for inviting me. And with that, I'll pass.